hard decisions had to be made. Hard decisions had to be made. Yes, ma'am. Esther. Esther. Somebody said Abraham. Was that you, my brother? My prison guard brother said Abraham. Hard decisions. But hey, right next to Abraham, Lot. Hard decisions, right? Choices. Who else? Moses. Moses. We, that whole, we've been, thank you, somebody. Finally, we've been a year and, a year and some change. Look at Moses, all the decisions. Uh, Philip. Joseph. 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 Who else? Joan, Naomi. That's an interesting one because Naomi, they made some bad decisions, right? She chose the wrong heart at first. That's a thought. Good. Alan? Daniel, the three, the three uh, Hebrews, Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's always interesting to me. We use Daniel's given name, but we always use the Babylonian name for the brothers. Nobody calls them Meshach and the other, you know, the, the, the original names. Somebody says something over here? Esther, one of my favorite Bible characters, Esther. But, but really, who else? Saul. Both. By the way, both Saul's. Saul, the king, made good decisions that went bad, right? Started well, ended wrong. Who else? David, Joseph. We already we mentioned Joseph. Jesus. Hey, hey, listen. Said it, he, he set his face like a flint, right? Set his, he made a hard choice. So you see, uh, without even thinking hard, many of you started to, to kind of get where I'm going. Throughout the Bible, there have been hard places. So I was looking at many of those to find biblical principles for decision-making. But I wanted to go to Acts 15. Acts 15. Because I think, as I went through literally dozens of places in the Bible where decisions, choices are made, I think Acts 15 gives us the clearest formula for decision-making in the Word of God. I believe that. I believe that if you'll look at the principles of Acts 15, I think you could tie Acts 15 to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and other places in Proverbs about how to make good decisions. Now, begin reading in verse 1. I'm, I'm going to read down through about verse 15 probably. Maybe verse, you know what, we'll go a little farther. We'll go all the way down a little bit farther than that. I, I'm not going to preach every bit of this tonight, but I want you to read it, then I'm going to explain it, and then we're going to draw out a couple of principles tonight. Certain men, verse number one, and certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and a certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem upon, unto the apostles and elders about this question. Being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenix and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church, of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, mark that, which believed, saying, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together for to consider of this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should 
hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. Put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the multitude kept silent and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return, and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Wherefore my sentence is that we trouble not them which, uh, which from among the Gentiles are turned to God, but that ye write unto them that they abstain from the pollution of idols and from fornication and from things strangled and from blood. Now go all the way down and uh, we'll finish there. Uh, let's see, verse number 22. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church. Now, you read as I read, and, and obviously uh, we, we read a good portion of that. You can spend more time tonight going over it for yourself. But we read what's going on here. And I want to set the stage because I want you to see the critical nature of this decision, the critical nature of this choice. This is the fledgling church where Gentiles and Jews are taking hundreds of years of precedent and setting that aside and now are assembling together. If they get this decision wrong, the church as you know it will not exist. If they get this wrong, we will segregate, we will relegate, there will be two divisions, uh, there will be Gentile and Jew, there won't be the same. And so when I say a critical decision in the history of the church, this moment is one of those watershed pinnacle moments. They better not get this wrong. Now watch me, not every decision you make is a critical decision that will send the rest of humanity up or down considering what decision you make. But some decisions you make will set the course not just for your life, but for generations that follow you. We were talking at Christmas, and uh, every year we gather. Now this year there's 30 I think 33 of us now that Shiloh and Harlow have come along. These are all of Freed's kids and Freed's now kids' kids and the spouses. And Freed said, I want to stop before we open presents. I just want you to say that we're here because my daddy made a decision to raise his kids in church. My daddy wasn't raised in church, but he got saved and he decided I'm going to 
raise my kids in church. In fact, when my daddy-in-law's father made that decision, here was the big decision they were facing. This was in the, the late 1950s. And some of you from Michigan remember or have heard these stories. All of these southerners were leaving the mountains and they were going up to Detroit and Ypsilanti and all around Pontiac and, and the Garden City and all over and they were taking these jobs with Ford. Now, Ford is the proper way to say it, but if you're from the south, you say Fords and Walmarts, all right? So they were going to Fords and Chrysler and General Motors and his brothers said, Gordon, we make more money up there than we've ever made in our life. And Gordon Ware looked at his brothers and he said, boys, he said, y'all go ahead and go. God bless you. He said, but I'm going to stay here because I know what kind of church we've got. I know what kind of family that I'm going to raise. I'm going to raise my family in church. And he chose to stay there than to go. Now, thank God many of those men went up there and loved God and served God. It was wonderful for them. But a decision was made. Now, you say, does that make, does, does that make uh, an impact? Every one of his baby boy's children follow the Lord, serve the Lord. Their children's children all saved, follow the Lord. A decision was made that set the course of generations that would follow him. So I think that you ought to learn, I ought to learn to make good choices because so much rides on it. I want to give you the, the, the issue here. What's the disagreement? It's very simple. The disagreement is the men go out. Peter, now, now look at who's involved here. Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. We're talking about the high three. I mean, these are the best of the best. And they begin to preach the gospel. And Gentiles hear the same gospel that you and I hear and believe and we're saved. And man, it was thrilling. And, and, and I mean, the, the Lord began to do a great work. And it was awesome. Uh, they were just getting saved. And uh, Paul and Peter and Barnabas and these other men are, are just teaching them the word of God. But sure enough, here comes some, some teachers. By the way, were they apostate teachers? Yes or no? Before you answer, look at the scripture. Huh? says, Pharisee, but what, what about the Pharisees? There's a little phrase I said, mark it, were you paying attention? They said, we believe. Now, many of the Pharisees had come to faith. But watch this, old habits die hard. Old doctrine doesn't disappear. Now, these are not infidels sneaking in. Now, I do believe that infidels sneak into the church and try to lead men astray. These were saved men who had a disagreement. What's the disagreement? Hey, if they're really, really converted, they ought to be what? Now, all God's men said, amen, that we got this problem fixed in Act 15. You got to be certain. And follow the law. Not bad men, good men, saved men, but a disagreement. Now, watch this. Good men can disagree. If you don't understand that, you will not survive in church long. Christians can disagree. Hey, husbands who love their wives and wives who love their husbands can disagree. It is not do you disagree, it's how you deal with the disagreements. Good men, saved men, spirit-filled men 
have a disagreement. One says we need to do what we do, which is as Jews, circumcise and keep the law. Now, Paul and Peter and Barnabas said, no, fellas, no. And these guys said, yes, Paul, yes. And, and pretty soon the disagreement became strong. The Bible says it was pretty strong, pretty great. It was so strong that Peter dug in and those Pharisees dug in and they could not resolve this. And so they said, you know what we'll do? Now I want you to go to verse 6. Now I want you to read verse 6 with me. And I want you to tell me, I'll ask the question, hopefully you and I will be on the same page. Verse 5, the disputation is so strong. Verse 6, and the apostles and the elders came together for to consider the matter. The apostles, the elders, these are the spiritually mature men, they came together to consider the matter. Now, number two, I want you to answer this question. I'm going to ask it. I want you to answer it. What is their desire? What is their desire? Who said solution? To get a solution. Now, watch me. Here's where decision-making and choices mess up before they even get started. If your desire is to glorify God, you can come to a conclusion. If your desire is to be right with God and be right with Scripture, you can get an answer. There's not one problem. By the way, uh, I was <laughs> just almost popped this, I almost popped that pulpit just now. And I was just telling somebody about my breaking my hand a couple of times, hitting the pulpit. And uh, my wife said, every time that I pop the pulpit, she just cringes. And I'm going to break my hand again. And uh, I almost did it just then. And I just got to think about the fact that a dumb man would break it four times. So I'm going to stop that right there. But I want to make an emphasis. I'll do that. How about that? That's better. Break a shin, not a, not a finger. But watch me now. Listen. It tells me something about you. Tell me something about me if I can't resolve a problem. Because the truth then becomes you don't want to solve a problem. You want to win an argument. I have people come to my office all the time for counsel. They don't want counsel because the goal in counseling is to solve a problem. They don't want to, they don't want to solve a problem. They want to win an argument. They want to prove husband is right. Right over wife, wife is right over husband, Christian is right over other Christian, whatever it is. Listen, I'm convinced of this. If you want to get right, you can get right. But you have to have a desire to solve the problem, not win the war. Paul, it's not about being Paul. Peter is maturing and growing. Barnabas, such a, such a comforter, such an encourager. They don't want to be right. At this point, even now, and you, you said it. The way you said it, because we don't ever say anything nice about the Pharisees. But these are believers. Even these Pharisees, that's how we say it, wanted to be right with God and to be right with each other. What is your goal? Is it to win or to be right? It comes, listen, watch me. Sometimes you can win and still not be right. And I've watched a lot of marriages over the last 31 years 
I've watched a lot of churches over the last 31 years win some battles but lose the war. So the desire in decision-making is not to get your way. Now, this, this is where, listen, I'm just going to tell you, I wish, I wish this wasn't true. Jim, Harry, some of the other men that have been in ministry a long time, we've done this way too long. Most people, when they say this, well, I sought counsel. They didn't seek counsel. They sought approval. I'm going to, listen, I'm just, I'm just being as, something about a Wednesday night makes me feel more comfortable to say just too many people make decisions and then seek counsel. Oh, I want to make a godly decision. No, what you want is God to approve a decision you've already made. You've already decided. So number one, the disagreement. Number two, the desire. Now, the decision. What's the decision going to be? In verses 7 through 12, we just read them. Peter rises up first, then Paul and Barnabas come, and they testify of everything that's happened. They, they bring all the facts out. Uh, what was it, Joe Friday used to say, just the facts, right, just the facts. This group has no idea who Joe Friday is whatsoever. Y'all have, your parents completely failed you if you do not who know who that is. Watch me now. Not your emotion. Not your hope. Well, if everything goes just right, I mean, everything falls in place. I mean, just everything lines out exactly right, then maybe, possibly, this will work out. Not your, not your emotion, not your opinion, I think, I feel, I believe. I think, I feel, I believe. If you want to get to the, to the root of good decision-making, take out your thinking, your feeling, your believing. What does, what does God say, not what I think, feel, or believe? And get to the facts. What's the facts? These men say we should do this. These men should say we do this. Here's what these men have seen and done. How do we know who's right? How do we know what direction? So this now is, I think there's one, two, three, four, five. There's six things in Acts 15 about how to come to a good decision. Number one, now not specifically stated in the text, but I know we have enough written of Paul, of Barnabas, of James, of Peter, of the council that you begin every decision with prayer. But watch me. This, this, I wrote this in my notes. This is not a prayer for the answer. Why do we not have to pray for an answer? Because the Bible says if any man, ask, uh, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God and God will give him that wisdom. True or false? If you ask, God will give. So do I have to pray for an answer? No, because God will give it to me. I just have to ask God. What am I asking God? God, what did David ask him? Search me. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. God, take away me from the equation. Your prayer is not for the answer. The answer is going to come if you follow the process. The, prayer, well, the answer to your prayer will come. But what you've got to do is say, God, you've got to work in me. God, you've got to work in my heart. Now, it's not here in this passage, 
I'm just going to start there because you should not make any decision where you're just first not asking God to convict you and correct you before you make any decision, especially a life-changing decision. God, make sure this is not about me, my wants, my flesh, my desires. So, so every test ought to begin with prayer. Now, the second thing we find, and again, you find the Holy Spirit in verse number 8 because it is the Holy Spirit that has given them witness, that has shown them these things, the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the test, the second test is, is this of God or is this of Satan? Now watch this. The work of God never ever is going to contradict the word of God. So when you say, oh, the Spirit said, the Holy Spirit, I feel led in the Spirit. Be careful there. Be careful there. Because the devil can act like the Holy Spirit. The devil can, can put a thought in your mind. The devil can play to your wants, your lusts, your desires. You have to weigh this out. Is this of God or is this of man? Sometimes the devil gets a lot of accomplished in the name of the Holy Spirit. I'm watching, I'm watching some of this stuff going on today, and it's like, well, I've got a word from the Lord. No, you don't. You don't have a word from the Lord. You have a word from a spirit, but it's not the spirit. You have, a, you have a word from spirits, but it's not the Holy Spirit because the word of God prevails above anything you think or believe outside. Oh, oh I've got a, that, that's, why, that's why the Pentecostal charismatic movie believes in these Rema words or these extra biblical words because they can do away with the scripture. It supersedes the scripture. No, dear friend, he has set his word above everything. So the Spirit of God, that leads us to the third test, the test of, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to get to that in the fourth one. The third one is the test of people. Where, where, is this, where is this meeting taking place? James, Peter, Barnabas, Paul, the elders, the other apostles. These are the most spiritual people that can make these. These are the people God ordained to lead this infant church. These are the leaders that God for three and a half years walked with Christ and ministered with Christ and learned from Christ. And then he said, now I've got to go so that the Holy Spirit can come and indwell you so that you can take this around the world. These are people who have God's interest at heart first. You can get counsel, there's, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, that's true. But you ought to say this, there is wisdom in a multitude of spiritual counselors. Surround yourself with people who want what's best. It, it kills me, I've, I've raised, at this point we've got four kids out of the house, and, and, and it kills me with my own kids or teenagers or anybody else. Mom and dad, nobody loves their kids like mom and dad. Uh, aunts and uncles, nobody loves their kids like family. Uh, youth pastors, school teachers, uh, administrators, people that love children. It's amazing how that all of these people who have given years, not, not days, weeks, months, years of their life for the best interest of a young person, and that young people, that young person would reject all of that counsel for some friends their age. And, and they're like, well, when I talked to my buddy, they, they are in the same boat as you are. 
And that happens all the time. Not my kids, it's, it's all every kid. Because we want to hear not what is best, but we want to hear what we want to hear. Spiritual counselors. I watch, I, I can just point people that are going the wrong way because they stop listening to and hanging out with people who are strong spiritually. And they begin to surround themselves with people who are at or less than their same spiritual level. You, uh, listen, a companion of fools will what? Be destroyed. But a wise man does what? Walks with wise men. And so when you start talking about advice, I, I'm not interested. First of all, I'm never interested in what Hollywood or, or social media land says. And I'm certainly not interested in what somebody else in my same area less than or equal to. I want to talk to somebody who knows God, who's got the walk of God and, and the word of God uh, in their spirit and their soul. Uh, they demonstrate a, 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 a depth of character, a depth of spirituality. They have a testimony that, that they please God. I was talking to a young man today, and, and I said, look at those people. Would those people be the ones that you ask advice? He said, absolutely not. I said, you're right. Ask people that you have confidence in their walk with God. Now, number four, letter C, letter D. Test of prayer, test of the presence of the Holy Spirit, test of people. Test of proof. James says, okay, I'm listening to you, Paul. I'm listening to you, Peter. I'm listening to you, Barnabas. And I'm listening to you guys. Hey, I'm not discounting you. You're saying that we're Jews. We've all been Jews our whole life. This is what we grew up on. And uh, I, I know this is what we follow. And we, we, we now believe in Christ, who is the promised Messiah. How do we reconcile this? Man, there's got to be an answer. And he said, hey, it's written. Do you see that little phrase right there? It's written. I think it's verse 13. Simeon had declared, verse 14. Simeon had declared at the first that uh, at the first did visit the Gentiles to make of them a people for his name, and to this the words of the prophets, as it is written, after this I will return. He begins to verbally quote Amos chapter number, I believe it's 11, Amos chapter 9, verse 11, and he quotes Amos 9, uh, 11 and 12, and he says, God said that he was going to call the heathen or the Gentiles uh, and he was going to bring salvation to them. So if God promised in his word, he was going to do it. And now these other men who, who, who walk with God and know God and follow God, if they're saying he's doing it, we can say then that this is proof that God has kept his word. Do you know that you do not have a question, a question of any kind that there is not a spiritual principle or precept that fits perfectly. There's not a question that there's not a precept or principle. Precept, Amos chapter 9, verse 11, 12, he quotes the very word of God. This is what God's word said, settled. Principle is, God may not address it specifically or directly, but he gives us his word that we can draw from to show us an answer. You do not have a question in your life of any kind that, it, that has merit to that does not have a precept or principle to it. Dating, marriage, life, fatherhood, motherhood, money, finances, business, friends, you name the categories of life. 
I'll give you precept or principle for every one of them. And if I can't, then we have to infer the best we can what we believe God's word does say about it. But I promise you, there's not many gray areas in your life. Very few gray areas. People want to talk about the shades of gray. Most of it's black and white. Most of it's black and white. Why do we not like that? Because we don't like the answer. And so we look for gray when there's black and white. We look for questions when there's only answers. 99.9% of our problems would stop if we simply stuck with the Scripture. Just obeyed the Scripture. Obeyed the Scripture. Most of our problems are, are most, many, some, I have whatever term you want to use, associations. Scripture gives us clear lines on our associations. Dating and marriage, clear lines on dating and marriage. Uh, family, money, all these main issues in life, the Scripture is very clear. Oh, preacher, we're in a mess financially. Why? Well, we ran up a credit card bill. Does the Bible say anything about debt? Plethora about debt, tons about debt. Well, you know, I made some bad decisions. Wow, well, my friends were doing Does the Bible say anything about friendships? I mean, you can go on. Proverbs alone, if you just studied the 31 books of the book of Proverbs every day of your life, you would have enough wisdom to live successfully the rest of your life, much less heaven or hell, but now to live a successful life on earth. So you're starting to see there's prayer. There's the presence of the Holy Spirit. There's the right people. There's the Word of God. But here's where I want you to see something. Verses 19 and 20. James, who is the leader here of this first church, this council. By the way, not all councils are good councils. I love, I love what Stott said. Stott said, councils have no authority in the church unless it be shown that their conclusions are in one accord with Scripture. You, you can get a group of people to decide a lot of bad stuff, uh, the, the, the Roman church has taught us that. A lot of bad stuff has come out of councils. So make sure your councils are clearly lined up with the word of God. If somebody tells you something and it doesn't line up with the word of God, let that person go and stay with the word of God. Churches get offline because they get away from the word of God. The, the body voted left, but they should have stayed right because the word of God didn't change. Now, look at, look at, the, look at the, the point I want to get to. Verse 19. My sentence is this. That we trouble not them which from the Gentile, from the Gentiles are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from the pollutions of idols and from fornication, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. Then please it the apostles. Then please it the apostles. The test of practicality. The test of practicality. Now let me explain what I mean by this. Doctrinally, this is, this is right. Doctrinally, this is right. We have determined that God's word has said there'd be a church of Gentiles, heathens, the nations, whatever term. The gospel is preached. They believe, and several times in the passage, you find a little phrase, as did we. They believe the same we believe. They believe the same way we did, by faith in Christ. The gospel is laid out at least twice in Acts 15. He said, hey, they believe the same Jesus we believe. They believe by faith in salvation of Lord Jesus Christ. And now they, they've come together. So doctrinally, the council of the, the consensus of the council was that salvation is apart from any human work. On this point, there was no compromise. However, they recognize that for the community of faith to flourish, 
there must be a sensitivity one to another. Jews and Gentiles had to make adjustments. Now, these were going to be cultural, not doctrinal adjustments. We're going to work together on this. We're going to compromise. Ooh. The Baptist church, we don't compromise on nothing. That could be part of our problem. Not everybody sees it the same way. Doctrinally, we have to be in agreement. Doctrinally, we cannot waver. There is going to come a day when the entire body of Christ is going to come in unity, same faith, same doctrine. Until that day, we have to earnestly contend for the faith. We have to fight for doctrine. But even in doctrinal agreement, there are different personalities. There are different backgrounds. There are there, Listen, some people a little bit over here and some people over there. You cannot force uniformity and expect unity. You can't force unity. I mean, everybody's got to look the same, dress the same, talk the same. It doesn't work that way. I can be in unity with people. I'm not completely like. Same, different backgrounds, different, different, wired different. Now watch this. You're going to make a decision. And you might, in order to achieve success, now listen, you might have to change Grow. You might have to say, hey, honey, I know that your mom taught you how to fold the towels one way. And I know my mom taught me how to fold the towels the other way, but hey, does it really matter as long as they're folded? Let's agree that we can fold them your way or my way, or let's just come up with a third way. We'll, we'll roll them now. We won't even, I mean, we, we don't have to fold them. We'll just roll them up. It goes back to the beginning question. Do you want to be right or do you want to win? There's a lot of people that are winning that aren't right because they will not change. Now, who had the change in this? The Pharisees. You know what they did? Okay. They didn't have to win. They were new Christians. They weren't mature believers yet. They were growing. By the way, James and them didn't know the answer at first. They had to all grow. And this time, they had to, hey, by the way, later, later, Paul had to change. Paul had made his mind up about John Mark. And he had to change his mind. Listen, Paul wasn't finished growing. Peter had to be rebuked. Here he is standing, standing. For this inclusion, he had to be rebuked later because, hey, he got a little out of sorts on, on this very issue. Same issue. So practicality is, listen, I don't have to have my way. What way pleases God? Doctrinally sound. What way pleases God is right with God and allows us to come to a conclusion. Practical decision is this. Now listen to me. This is it. This is what... This is what the law was all about. This is what the New Testament was all about. The practical decision was, 
They don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to follow the law. But they do have to do what? They have to live a holy lifestyle. Now listen to me, and if I had a ta-da moment, this is it in my Christian life. You don't have to walk like I do, dress like I do, talk like I do, and I don't have to walk like you, dress like you, talk like you, but we both have to live a holy life. And if we, hey, Tim, watch it. Isn't this wonderful? If we both have a goal for holiness, we'll both be okay. You do your way, I'll do my way, as long as it's holy. Now, that changes things, doesn't it? Because it's not about my way anymore, it's about his way. And his way, with my flavor, my background, my past, God uses me. But I want to live holily. I want to live right with God. Watch this. The requirements handed down by the council focus not on the law, circumcision, the law, but on personal holiness. Idolatry and immorality were forbidden. They can't, they can't do this. Idolatry, that's the meat, strangled, all those things. That's the, the fornication. Idolatry and uh, immorality were forbidden. God's people must be holy. Watch this. If their both desire is holiness, do you not think there'll be harmony? To preserve the harmony of the early Christian community, other suggestions such as dietary restrictions were included. We must curb our liberties at times so the higher good of mutual edification is accomplished. The early church leaders were concerned about doctrinal integrity and relational health. Now watch this. This is the key of all these principles. Is this holy? Is this right? You say, well, their way is different. Is it idolatrous? No. Is it immoral? No. Does it violate any known scripture? No. Is it holy? Nothing wrong with it. It's different. But it's holy. Doctrinally, practically, they said, look, you don't have to do it exactly the way I do it. But we have to please the Lord. If every decision you make, if your ultimate goal is to please the Lord, you don't have to have me. You don't have to have anybody else because you're going to please the Lord. Holiness, we could talk about all kind of things, but ultimately every desire you make has to be based on holiness. Is it right with God? Is it what's best for me in my walk with Him? When there's a holy decision made practically, verse 22, it pleased the apostles, the elders, and the whole church. It pleased the apostles the elders, and the whole church. We're going to send Paul. We're going to send Barnabas. They're going to go. Silas is going to go. We're going to, we're going to sort this all out. We've come to a conclusion. I was talking to a man today, and I said, the peace of God is irreplaceable. And the peace of God only, now listen to me on this, only comes through obedience. These Pharisees, the elders, Paul, Barnabas, Peter, and this is good. This is good. Peace. Why is there peace of God? Because there's peace with God. I'm not, I'm not trying to get my way. I'm not trying to force. I was talking to a young man today, and I said, son, I said, you've got to make sure that your decisions please the Lord. I said, if your decisions please the Lord, he'll give you peace. 
you won't need all this other stuff. All this other stuff is unnecessary when you please the Lord. These, these men, these Pharisees, that are causing all this problem, I actually got some respect for them. Because I said, you know what? You're right. We don't have to have it this way. I have much more respect for a man when he's confronted with wrong and repents and gets right than a man who says, no, I've got, I've got to win. I've got to be right. No, no, we don't, have to be, we don't have to be right because we're right. We have to be right because he says we're right. In your decisions, test every decision with prayer. Lord, is this right? How many of you know more often than not immediately when the Holy Spirit convicts you about something? See, that's the funny thing with me. It's like, oh, and, and please don't get me wrong. Please, please don't get me wrong. Please don't get me wrong. Please. What I'm about to say, don't get me wrong. Because some of you, this may be you. Oh, Brother Brent, I've been praying for two years. I've been praying for two years that God would show me. It takes me about two seconds most of the time. For God to say, you're just wrong, or you're right. Now watch. Have you, have you been praying for two years to God to show you, or have you been praying for two years to God to change his mind? Because he's convicted you immediately, and you don't like that. So God, just please, 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 and you're praying. And he's like, yeah, I told you day one, this is not the way to go. Number two. Holy Spirit, if you're saved, if you're saved, you're either in harmony with the Holy Spirit or he's convicting you to bring you back into harmony. You're either walking with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's where he's the paraclete, the one who walks beside. Or he's doing his, he's in the Holy Spirit's life, he's doing one of two jobs in your life. He's either comforting or convicting you. You're either walking in harmony Comfort, or you're walking out of harmony, conviction. What's the old timer say? I can see it in your eyes. The eyes are the window to the soul. I watch people, and I can tell by looking at them when they're right with God. Not, 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 not every time. Not every time. But you can almost tell when people are under conviction. You can tell by their actions. You can tell by their mannerisms. You can tell by how they, they avoid certain people, certain situations. You can tell by how they listen to preaching. You can tell by how quick they can get their tail out the back door. There's a lot of different telltale signs when someone's walking in conviction or when they're in comfort and the Holy Spirit's just free-flowing in their life and just working. Listen, the Holy Spirit, he, he, He's either leading you or convicting you. you. I... I Quickly, I can, I can tell you what kind of people you lean to for counsel. I can tell you what kind of direction you're going to end up in, what kind of decision you're going to make, who you surround yourself with. I was telling a guy today, I said, there are certain friends that I love I don't go to for counsel. Certain friends, I love them. They're friends, but I don't go to counsel. I've got three or four men that I look up, up, up to. They make me want to be a better Christian because of how they live for Jesus. And I go to them. And you know what is funny? 
I hate their answers most of the time. Now, my friends, we get along great. They never hardly say anything. But those friends that I look up to, Brent, you're acting like a moron. Brent, you're acting like an immature child. Brent, you can't write that. You can't say that. You can't do that. Don't do that. The people. The proof. Right here. I've told you that illustration a thousand times. Dude walked up the other day. Should, I be, should she be dating me? And I asked him two questions. Are you saved? He said, yeah, I'm saved. Now, I, I, I'm not the Holy Spirit, but that yeah, I'm saved didn't come across too strong. Second question. Are you baptized by immersion? No. I said, no. She should not date someone in open rebellion to God's word. I mean, you say, well, that's, that's, that's really a reach. If you, if you disobey in a little principle, you think you'll disobey in a big principle? You, you start asking some biblical questions about things, you'll get some biblical answers pretty quick. Practicality. Is it doctrine sound? Does it build harmony, unity? Is it helping or hurting? Is it drawing me closer or pulling apart? Some people are going to have to have their own way. That's not unity. That's not harmony. You mean I might have to say you're right? I'm I'm, I'm sorry I was wrong. If you've been married any length of time, that's a good couple of sentences you should learn. Because you're not always right. And sometimes you've got to grow. Valerie and I, will, our testimony of 31 years of marriage, first three years, there was a lot of growing, not just on my part, not just on her part, but on our part. We had to say, you know what, I'm expecting something from you that, that I'm, I'm, I'm putting too much pressure on that. And we both had to grow. And pastoring all these years, and living in harmony with each other, a lot of things, do you have to always be right? No, I have to be righteous, not right. Be right with God, not right. Does it bring peace in my life? If you're praying, if you're praying that God's already answered a prayer and you're trying to get God to undo, there's no peace in your life. You, you wonder, I'm, reading, I'm, I'm, in, I'm taking a doctorate, I'm working on my doctorate, uh, another degree, whatever it is, and uh, the guy said in life, there's either biological problems or there's spiritual problems. Biological, something's wrong with the chemistry, with the organic part of you, or something's wrong with the spiritual part of you. There's some more to that to be, to be sure. But a lot, of, a lot of people, they're wondering why their lives are so conflicted. One of these six things is not in place. Or all of these six things. Or some of these six things. And so we're making decisions. Well, I've prayed about it and God said no, but I'm going to do it anyway. Well, the Holy Spirit's convicted me, but you know, I mean, that's just a suggestion. But you know, every spiritual person in my life said no, but what do they really know? Uh, the Word of God is just clear about it, but I mean, come on. Do we really believe that old book? I'm not giving up. I'm going to win. No peace. Every decision walk through these principles over and over and over again. 
to make good decisions based on good process. Make good process decisions, God can bless. If you don't, constant conflict, constant turmoil. Lord, as we begin this study of hard things, choosing our hard, we're going to have to look at these principles.